Welcome back. So we should record this. Karina just made me stop for a second. So I am here. She is here. Um, we've been on a bit of a hiatus because in case you've been living in a bubble or an alternate universe, um, we are in the middle of a global pandemic, which sounds way more cool and apocalyptic than it is in real life. Um, I'm not running through the world with a crossbow and combat boots like Katniss. I am getting up every day and going to work. Um, and I have a lot of feelings about how we're managing this. Our kids are at home, homeschooling, sort of. Um, there's just been massive disruption and Karina is sort of walking the same direction in a different lane because she's at home full-time with all of her people and all of them are there. And so today we're going to talk about what this looks like and how do we walk out disruption and disappointment and grief and make space for all of that in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, we have our first guest with us today, so we're excited about that. But even in that, we have some feelings because before we started recording our first episode of this season, we talked, we had this whole plan. It was really beautiful. We had like notes and papers and guests and topics and all of these things that we were planning to weave together in a really intentional theological conversation type of way. And the world caught a really bad cold that turned into this virus. It turned into this epidemic pandemic and our notes went out the window and now we've just been treading water. And so we're bringing in Lauren Clausen today, who is a therapist. She'll have a lot of material with the two of us to work with and play with, but she's going to join our conversation a bit. But first, Karina, do you want to talk a little bit about what your world has looked like the last month or so? Yeah, we we had um, our we've got five kids. They range from uh, which order, eleven to twenty, and um, so ours. The, this this whole pandemic thing started with our daughter coming within. 36 hours of, you know, calling and being like, they're, they're kind of shutting the school down. What should I do? Getting her home from New Brunswick where she was at university and leaving that community to everybody being done school and being at home. So then I'm kind of half working on some of my master's reading and all of a sudden Josh is working at home now and we keep like playing Tetris with the office spaces and workspaces, trying to find seven different spaces for people to be doing online school, online learning, and somehow staying connected to the outside world and caring for people that are connected to us and, um, and in some ways dealing with, uh, I would say one of the, the bigger issues, issues? that's probably not the best word for it, that, that I've had is almost this feeling of survivor's guilt in, in the sense of feeling like I just got to bring my kids home and we haven't had the disruptions that so many have had. And there's this feeling of powerlessness or helplessness to help people in tangible ways that are having different experiences, like financial things or just like people with kids, like little kids that, that don't have their scaffolding of like people to come help them or um, just teachers who are having, who didn't sign up to be online teachers. And now all of a sudden they're tossed in this technology deep end. And just sometimes it feels like we're generally, you know, the, the thing is 
you can either say we're all in different boats in the same storm or we're all in different storms. I feel like we're experiencing this for the most part like a sprinkle and not a hurricane, not a thunderstorm. And I feel grateful for that. And at the same time, it's like, how do I, how can I be there for people? Like I, I can't do it like I normally would. Um, so that, that can feel really frustrating. And just the loss of things like church faith community. And we have a really vibrant Tuesday night, um, kind of some people call it a faith recovery group or uh, um, those kind of things, like moving those things online. And that just changes it. It's a, it, a change is a loss, I guess. And so that's been that. And then being aware of just situations like yours, this whole stream of things that get missed, like, people who aren't doctors and nurses or frontline workers, so to speak, who are still going into work every day and dealing with all the crap that comes yeah. with that. Like that, I feel like what we're being, I, I wonder, and this will be maybe something that we'll end up talking about with Lorraine, but like, I feel like we've been thrust into this whole body experience. Like we cannot just live in our heads anymore and have ideas about things. We're very aware. I think that we're experiencing this in our bodies, lack of sleep, breaking out, needing comfort and, or like just, how do you work with people and stay six feet away from them all the time? Like your brain must always be thinking, 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 thinking like that. It's like you're in a constant new job. That's exhausting. And so just you've been really, hold. So, mm. you've been really good at checking in with me because I've been terrible at <laughs> replying because I, I'm not a frontline essential worker. I work in a flower shop and I'm their admin person and we've stayed open pretty much this whole time but with a drastically reduced staff, but an absurdly high number of orders coming through because people can't be together. So they're sending flowers, which is great for a small local business, but you're right. It is, you're like in the back of my mind, I'm constantly, okay, what are the provincial guidelines and restrictions and how far apart are we? And am I talking moistly at people? And, <laughs> totally. You know, am I like, everyone has stresses and we're all guessing every time the province issues a new statement, we're trying to figure out what does that mean for us? Right. And how are we pulling that out? And are we being respectful of each other? And then I'm coming home to my adult son who came home from Bible school expecting to get a job and save up for university. And um, he walks around in pajamas and a scarf and eats eggs by like the dozen. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. And I've got a grad this year. My daughter is supposed to be graduating. She is graduating. Um, and this was a big thing. And now we are living in the day-to-day -day grief and disappointment. And every day there feels like there's a new level of awareness that there's nothing but disruption here. Yeah. And my 15-year-old is a football player with aspirations to move on to college ball. And the lack of being able to train and have seasons are going to affect his ability to get scholarships and recognition on a university setting when this ends. And so yeah. we're dealing with all of that plus I'm married to a guy that I like, but we don't, we're exhausted at the end of the day. We don't talk to each other. I honestly have spent most evenings laying on the couch, eating peanuts and watching Grey's Anatomy because I can't function beyond that. So there's a lot that we're talking about and a lot of grief and, and, and then there's the layered issue of our theology has screwed us up. 
there's another way to put it. Like I've talked to so many people who feel like they shouldn't be anxious and they shouldn't be afraid because it means that they don't have faith or that somehow they're sinning because there's fear involved. Right. And that's, that's crap. And I'm going to try and watch my words because I've been swearing a lot, which is not normally me, but that is like a side effect that, and I can't get dressed in the morning. I can't choose pants. I can't, I can't. So yes. Karina, can you introduce Lorraine and bring her yeah. in? Because clearly I'm a hot mess and I would love to talk to a therapist for a while. Yeah. I am really, really excited to have Lorraine here. We're, we're going to kick around some ideas on like the way that our faith history could could inform us and maybe there's some new paradigms we can grab onto like we we might have a tendency to thinking you know we've been raised thinking we're supposed to have a single story a single experience if we're people of faith or like what you're alluding to that like grief is more than death or catastrophe and it's just a reality that we're all living in in various ways and having to learn how to navigate that and so we just, I just thought, what a great chance to bring in Lorraine. Um, Lorraine, here's, here's her bio. She is passionate about using therapy to help women get set free from their harsh internal critic. I don't know if any of you have that. I sure do. I should almost name her. Um, and live true authentic lives. Lorraine has a Master of Arts in Marriage and Family Therapy and believes that therapy and theology don't have to be enemies. Amen. Um, and she's been married to Ron for 16 years. They have two kids who keep them busy with team sports. And guess who sings this contest, which Lorraine almost always loses. So you're in good company here too, I think. Um, she works as a trauma therapist in Abbotsford and teaches developing therapists as an adjunct professor at the Axe Seminaries. And when she's not in session, in class, or on the sidelines cheering her kids, you will find her curled up on the couch with a cup of hot coffee and a generous piece of chocolate with hazelnuts, probably re-watching The Office. So Lorraine, welcome to We Should Record This, our There's a First Time for Everything episode. We're so thrilled to have you here with us. And I just want to say before you start that I affirm your snack choices. I'm a hazelnut lover and coffee is what heaven's going to smell like. Yeah, that sounds fair to me. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I'm so thrilled to be a uh, part of this with the two of you. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad, like Nicole was saying, we've had all these plans and I think it's it's been difficult to deal with. Like it feels like daily adjustments and we'd be like, okay, I think we can get it to record here and then it's like nope back up the bus and so it was just a real grace that you were able to pounce on the offer that we're like let's try this and it almost is like that just seems it's almost like building the plane while you were flying in the air together so I'm grateful you're here so I'm curious um maybe you could start out by just sharing like what what has your isolation experience been like and and then maybe then you could take it into just as you're like in, in an appropriate way, as you're seeing clients, are there similarities and generalities so that maybe some of our listeners might be able to normalize or find themselves in the shared experience that, I, that you have as a therapist? Yeah, for sure. So our experience in isolation has been, I mean, a bit mixed. Uh, Ron is still working full time. And so that has created at least some sense of normalcy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, 
And I'm with you, Karina, in terms of like kids try to, you know, do homeschool and online school and, you know, this hybrid of teaching and trying to keep on, on task and on track, but still not really knowing what's going on. Um, and then the biggest shift for me has been moving my whole practice online um, and trying to find places and spaces within my house to be able uh, to see clients and to uh, really connect with them that way. And that's been a bit of a learning curve for me. Um, but yeah, I really resonate with this idea that I am well aware that my experience is not, um, the only experience and that, um, there are people who have it, like have much bigger impacts, um, at this time than I am. Yeah. Yeah. I love, if I could just, I love that phrase that you use. People are having different impacts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that when I think about sometimes we want to turn suffering into a competition and, and then we don't even do it intentionally. Most people that I know, it's like they want to silence their experience because they know somebody has it worse. But to, to have that language of like, this is impacting people differently doesn't mean it's not impacting you or me or Nicole or yeah. the doctors, but that we're all having different impacts. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. That phrase. Yeah, and I think impacts is not, um, it doesn't have a value to it, right? An impact is an impact. It can be a big impact, a little impact, but it's still, it's still affecting us, um, sometimes in really obvious ways and sometimes in ways that we just aren't even, you know, totally, totally attuned to yet. In terms of what's happening with clients, as one can imagine, there's sort of just a variety, right? That, that's for some people um, who sort of, you know, would naturally not really want to be out and about that being out and about uh, and being asked to sort of like engage in their regular life is actually like anxiety producing. Those clients are actually having kind of a, a nice reprieve because there isn't an expectation that you go out and you do anything. <laughs> you, you get to stay home and for them that's really great. Um, where others really have this like complete overwhelm. Like it's just uh, beyond their, um, their resources. It's beyond, you know, what they're usually able to to manage and then along with that I think also comes a lot of like shoulds and expectations like I should be able to do this better um, I should be you know like getting fit I should be you know doing this project I should be baking sourdough bread I should be um, you know <laughs> and none of those things are bad in and of themselves but it's the the should and the judgment that is connected to those things that can be really difficult um, yeah, and the other piece that I'm starting to notice now as we're sort of seven weeks in is sort of like a resurfacing of a bunch of the things that were already there. <laughs> I'm having clients kind of circle back to some of their original goals for therapy because as we've sort of settled into our new normal, you know, as much as we can, um, mm -hmm. realizing that some of these things that we need to deal with, we still need to deal with even in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've got this list of things that I'm hoping to talk about, but Nicole, please jump in with your thoughts and ideas, the ideas too. I'm just wondering if you could, like, I'm thinking about Nicole's daughter who's graduating this year, or, you know, my son had like the big, the big band trip and the big musical of mm -hmm. his senior years that he was involved in. Um, I think about like people that are having overtime cut because they're 
so it's like we're all trying to be financially okay and then these impediments when it, you feel like you're swamped I don't I'm just thinking of like the different stories just between even just you and I Nicole different things that we're trying to to navigate can you like when I think about my own story maybe that's the easiest thing to go I feel like I spent so many years in my head and managing emotions in my head ignoring my body ignoring the reality that was going on and I feel like that's really really hard to do right now more than the activity could maybe distract us before so I'm wondering if you could maybe give us some ideas on like how do we manage big emotions in us and how do we manage big emotions in the people around us like how what what are what are some ways that we can navigate that um in the healthiest or kindest way possible mm -hmm. that was a great question i think the first thing i think that we need to remind ourselves about and like address big emotions is with like two c's like curiosity and compassion right to come at these big feelings with like wondering you know i wonder what this is about i wonder why this feels so big to me and then compassion like like, of course, this feels big. Of course, this is a big loss. Um, five things kind of come to mind, and that feels like a long list. But <laughs> um, I think the first thing to remember and to sort of check in is like that emotions show up for a purpose. They show up for a reason. They're not the enemy. They're not something to be avoided, to be pushed away. They're showing up because they're trying to alert us to a need that is wanting to be met. Right? Maybe the need is comfort, maybe the need is safety, maybe the need is, I don't know, it could be anything really, but like to, to wonder and ask ourselves the question, what is the need? What is it that I need in this moment? Right? Why is this emotion yeah. showing up? What does it want to alert me to? Right? This is, an, this is a friend for me. Um, I think the second piece is to remind ourselves that emotions don't last forever. Right? That, that even though the feeling is really big and really intense right now, that it's not going to last forever. Um, I'm not suggesting that you tell somebody who's having a big emotion. Oh, by the way, this won't last forever. That's not what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> but even for our own, you know, in our own process to have this little gentle reminder, like this isn't going to last forever. Like the third thing is that it's okay for emotions to feel hard. I think that sometimes we get this, we've gotten this message maybe through like religion or through like social conditioning or whatever that we shouldn't, that emotions shouldn't feel hard. Like it shouldn't be hard to be sad. You should be fine. You should be, uh, have faith. You should have, you know, <laughs> trust and, and all of these things. And then you won't feel sad. Not true. <laughs> emotions are allowed to be hard. They're allowed to feel difficult. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. That's just the intensity with which this like uh, need wants to be met, right? The fourth thing is that we can't stop emotions from coming. I think we would like to believe that if we are, you know, really like solid and introspective and, you know, right. all of these things that we won't feel emotion. Not true. You will feel emotion. The question then becomes is how do I respond to this feeling? Mm -hmm. Where I respond to it with curiosity, with compassion, with kindness, with wondering, that, that will help me sort out this emotion, not I shouldn't feel this way, something is wrong with me, or I feel upset that I feel 
or I feel mad that I feel sad or I feel, you know, uh, angry that, you know, that I feel loss, yeah, right? Those, so those things don't help so much. But the, the most important thing, which I think sort of has the, like, the practical, like, legs to it, um, is that emotions need to be named and they need to be validated. So when we're having a big feeling or we see somebody, we're trying to help our kids or, you know, a friend or something, it's really important for emotions to be named. I feel really sad. I feel really disappointed. I feel really angry. Mm -hmm. um, and then to be validated. And one of the ways, one of the really simple ways to validate an emotion is to use this idea of the three becauses. So if we talk about sadness and loss, the three becauses might be, so I feel sad. I'll use my own example. I feel sad that my kids don't get to play their sports this spring. Yeah, I feel sad about that. Yeah, I feel sad because they really enjoy it. I feel sad because I really enjoy watching them do what they love. I feel sad because um, this gives them a chance to connect with their friends, right? And that's like a really simple example. But uh, if we think about graduation, right? Uh, I feel sad and disappointed that my grad doesn't get to have that experience. That, you know, I feel sad that this um, rite of passage has been taken away from him or her. I feel sad that, um, you know, that this, this is limiting their ability to like really like mark the end of this, like how hard they work. So validation, and it, you, can, you can have lots and lots of examples of what that right. looks like. But the three becauses is one of those ways to really give space and um, permission for these feelings to exist. And so if we're alongside someone who's in a big emotion experience, mm -hmm. um, and I do think it's helpful to, my experience has been that referring to them as big as opposed to bad or negative can be really helpful. It's, it feels a little bit, it's just more the size, not the quality yeah. of the emotion we're feeling. But is our job, because I find at least with kids sometimes, it's like, what, what's going on for you? Or how are you feeling about that? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So how do I be curious as someone who is next to someone having a, a big experience? Like, I don't want to be putting words in their mouth but I might be noticing things or I don't know, like Nicole, do you have like, are there questions you have around how, how can we be with someone in a good way around that? I know, like, I don't know that I've got questions. I just, what I'm learning with my kids is that they each respond differently and need a different approach to voicing where they're at. Like I've got one kid who, um, is deep within themselves right now. And all I can do is curl up on the bed with them and they would die if anyone knew that I just spoon with them and hold them and we lay there until the breathing changes. And I know whatever is happening, there is a healing moment in that. And I don't necessarily need to know all of the bits and pieces, but that's how they receive care. I've got another kid will sit in the same room with me and just text with me. They can't verbalize it but we sit and we text each other. And then about one that is the talking is darn donkey and I can't get him to shut up. So, <laughs> it's, you know, each kid is different. And I've, I've had to learn through all of the years of parenting that 
I have to be a different mom to each one of them because it's a different relationship. And so, I mean, one of the things though I'm struggling more with is I, I grew up in a home that was like, pull yourself together and get up every day and shower and meet the world. And it doesn't matter whether you're dying of the flu or you're depressed or whatever. Like it's, if you look good, you'll feel good kind of mentality. And I don't want to be that person in my house, but how far do I let the lack of routine and hygiene and clean clothes go and the staying up all night and sleeping all day? Like I'm, some of my kids are turning nocturnal. And so I don't, what I'm struggling with more is where do we put these margins of functionality and how do we help them have space yet give them some parameters? I guess. That's good. Yeah, those good questions. I think what comes to mind for me as I'm hearing you describe that is, again, this sort of like internal inquiry, you know, around like, what is the most loving thing that I can do for myself in this moment? Right? And to turn it instead of it, it being about behavior, about, you know, checking all these boxes, like, you know, you have to look and, and do things exactly this way, rather to be like, you know, to invite conversation around you know with your kid around and for yourself myself you know what is the most loving thing that i can do for myself in this moment sometimes that is i'm going to lay on the couch and watch the office and do nothing and sometimes that is you know what actually the most loving thing is for me to get outside you know just for some air and i'm going to like walk to the mailbox <laughs> or you know um but to to use this question in a really loving you know like introspective kind of way um i think when we're really listening to the answer to that question what our fear is that the, the answer to the question will always be well then i'm just not going to do anything but i think that eventually as we keep asking ourselves the question we start to have new answers to that mm -hmm. right we start to have these new answers like okay the most loving thing to do for myself is actually to care for myself to um, look after myself to, you know, but not from a place of like force and demand and expectation and rather from a place of like, what is, how can I meet my need here, right? What is it that I can do to be loving and kind and compassionate to myself? Um, but it's tricky. I like, <laughs> I'm with you, Nicole. Like some days I'm like, okay. I said to my 13 year old, I'm like, I love you. And you've been in your room for three days now, you know, yeah. like we need, we need to do, we need to just shift this. It's not about me being upset or being, you know, angry with you. It's just, let's, you know, let's just move these things around a little bit so that we can have new experiences of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love, and it seems to fit with the themes that we keep coming to in the things that Nicole and I are talking to, like we are, are, history whether like you're saying whether it's religious social training or whatever is like find the single answer have move everybody into the same single experience and what i'm hearing you say is we really just need to be in the moment and and trust that inner wisdom voice of god in us you know the um love all of those things are are going to inform us in the moment of what the best thing we can do right now. And um, 
I know a friend and I will often talk and, and we'll be caught. One of us might be in like a should loop. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should, I should. And I see that like my kids can get like that. I think it's a really easy place to get. And it's almost like the first one of us to remember that we're doing the best we can wins. And, and to remind ourselves that even like my best six months ago might be different in the same situation six months from now, because we're human beings, we're meant to grow, we're meant to learn, we're meant to change. And I, I just think it's, it's um, I, I love just that you're inviting us again into that present tense moment of being with our kids, being with one another. Um, I wonder, like a lot of times we'll, you know, if I, like you're, you, were, you were mentioning that people are going back to their original, um, this is why I'm talking to a therapist moment because it feels, I'm sure it's not that they're actually having backwards movement. They're just having deeper movement and kind of uncovering different layers of maybe the same thing or something like that. So I'm curious if you have some ideas for, let's, let's say that um, we, we talk with a lot of people who have been in a faith paradigm that was like, God's upset with us. He's perpetually disappointed with us. Um, like we talked about the, like, if you're afraid, that's because you're disobedient or lack of faith or rather than like, you're saying like your emotions are just telling you that you have a need right now. It's, it's not about your relationship with God. It's about your relationship with humanity and the experiences around you. So we might've moved from that over to like, actually, I think God's on our side and God is like the calm, loving, secure parent figure for lack of a, a better thing. But now we're wanting, you know, how, how can we, encourage that curiosity because I know sometimes faith paradigms can be really hard to undo when 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 we get in tight situations and I'm wondering is is there is there sorry, sorry I was gonna sort of clarify that I think what I'm seeing in my circle of friends and I'm wondering whether we're even seeing this with clients and her friends and whatever too that these kind of crap theologies that we thought we dealt with are kind yes. of resurfacing because of the pressure cooker that we're in and how I don't know it's kind of that revisiting where you think you've dealt with something and now you're back in so now what is the easy yeah. question now what super easy question thanks guys um <laughs> I think the first thing that comes to mind is like of course of course we're coming back to those things of course when we're under stress and under pressure that these patterns or these beliefs or these like paradigms that were so familiar to us for so long like of course they're coming back because our brain wants to create safety and it wants to create predictability and it's going to go back to the things that even though maybe ultimately didn't work for us for a long time did work you know at least at some level right and so we, of course, we're going to go back to those things. I think that's the first thing, like, take a breath and just remind yourself that you get to be a human. Like, of course, you're going to go back to the things that were familiar because inevitably your brain wants to create uh, places of safety. And the, the thing is that our brains 
you know, God has created our brains to be so fantastic <laughs> in so many ways. Um, and I think, again, it, it comes back to this question then, and I, maybe I sound like a bit of a broken record, but this idea of like, okay, if that idea served me at some point, what was it that that gave me, right? What is it this, that this idea that if um, I was scared, it meant that I wasn't trusting God, what did that give me? Well, maybe it gave me um, a place to put my fear besides just like being in it, you know? Maybe I could just put it in this, in this place of like, well, that's a, a sin problem or that's a, you know, just something outside of myself. Um, versus being able to just sit with it and be with it and say, okay, in this moment, this is how I feel. And this is like my present reality. And this new idea that maybe God can meet me right in the middle of my anxiety. And maybe God is part um, of that uh, care and comfort for me and my sadness. And, um, and to, yeah, it's tricky work. And, uh, but I think the, the big piece really is, again, having compassion on, on of, of course, we're going to go back there. But the question is, does it still serve me? Do I still want that? Hmm. Even if it helped me then, do I still want that now? Do I still need it now like I needed it then? Um, and if the answer is no, then we have opportunity to choose something different. Yeah. And if the answer is yes, I actually kind of need this idea right now then again, compassion. Right now I need this idea. I won't always need it, but maybe I need it right now. I think one of the things that I personally am struggling with is I'm not, generally speaking, a very anxious person. Mm. Um, maybe I live in a land of avoidance a lot of times. If something's freaking me out, I just don't think about it for now and hope it works itself out. Um, but what I'm finding is that life is anxiety-inducing right now. Like we've ordered an unreal amount of takeout because going to a grocery store freaks the hell out of me. And so what are some practical things we can do when we have to be in these anxiety inducing situations? Like I will eventually have to get fruit or else we're going to die of scurvy before COVID gets us. So like, great question. <laughs> how do we, I mean, our kids joked at the beginning of all this is that we would die of starvation before anything else because I don't stockpile groceries. We, we live day to day, man. Like, but I've done better with getting a week of groceries at a time that they eat in two days. So whatever. But <laughs> so when we have to face things like a grocery store or a doctor's office or some of these things that we can't avoid. What are some practical things that we can do to be okay and survive these experiences without absolutely falling apart? Yeah, great question. So one of the, like, this is where for me, it really links to the like stuff with your body. Um, because when we get these like messages of danger, like from a doctor's office, from a grocery store, right? Our amygdala picks up this message, like, I'm not okay. Nicole's not okay. I'm not okay. Karina's not okay. We're not okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And so because your, God has designed your brain to be so fantastic, this amygdala fires and it sends you into fight or flight. And, it, and when it, your brain does that, because it's so good and so loving to you, it's going to send all of these messages to your body. Your heart should beat really fast. You should breathe really quickly. Maybe you're going to sweat a little bit. Your muscles are going to get tense. All of these like, anxiety symptoms are going to show up. 
And so that can be one of the first, you know, signs like, ooh, not feeling too great right now. But for every one message that your amygdala sends to your body, um, your body sends nine messages back to your brain. The amygdala is lovely and we need it, but it has one, this is my question for God one day, um, why did you create the amygdala quite this way? But anyway, um, one of its other functions is that it disengages your prefrontal cortex. So all of your like logic and your reasoning, all of those things that we come to rely on when we live in our head kind of go out the window. Totally. Because I, I just go to the store and I'm like, I don't need 50 pounds of flour, but I feel like I need 50 pounds of flour because yeah. everyone's eating sourdough and I'm going to die without sourdough. Like, and I don't, I don't right. bake, whatever, man. Yeah. But it is those moments. Yeah. But I it feel does, like very good. I, I just, I just want to like pause. <laughs> this is my hold the phone moment in the episode. Guys, if it feels like you can't think properly in that moment, we could lighten up on ourselves because we can't. Exactly. Like that is good news. Thank you for the gospel moment here in the show because we're so hard on ourselves. We're like, what is wrong with me? I get in the grocery store and my mind is gone or whatever. I just, I want to make sure we all hear this moment. Ah, like sigh of relief. Yes, it's because <laughs> this is like, yeah, we, this happens to us because this is brain chemistry. And the reason it happens is because our amygdala cannot tell the difference between picking up a germ at the grocery store and running from a bear. It doesn't know the difference <laughs> between those two things. And all it knows is that it got a message that we're not okay. And if you were actually running from a bear, you wouldn't be running down the mountain going, did I email that person? I should pick up milk, I think. Let's maybe. just be clear. I'm On the way home. Me, I'm not running. <laughs> I'm to meet Jesus. Like, like, or that. But you're still not thinking about your grocery list. Yeah, very true. <laughs> I'm let, let's be real here. I love that. So I'm it's marinated perfectly... <laughs> it's perfectly normal to to feel like you don't have access to those parts of you in those moments i'll say it again you know people in the back it's perfectly normal for you to not feel like you have access to all of your like rationale and your reasoning and your logic and you know the stats and like all of these things in those moments when your brain gets messages that you're in danger. I want, I want to kind of take what you're saying and use, use the inverse to go, those moments are not there to tell you God is upset with you. They're not there to tell you, you have a lack of faith or a lack of planning ability or a lack of emotional capacity. Like, they're there to tell you you're human. And I think I want to invite people to consider that Jesus came to show us how beautiful it was to be a human. Mm-hmm. And instead of here's how to escape humanity one day in the sweet by and by, I, I think that we've, we've done a disservice when we are constantly trying to escape our humanity 
and all the experiences as though that's the way instead of learning how we were created beautifully intentionally you know like god's dream is us and our humanity yeah. i think all oftentimes in those moments where i'm doubting and questioning what god was thinking making us this human <laughs> it is it is that reminder okay god made me this way on purpose my emotions aren't a glitch in the matrix this is part of my humanity that god intended to be there now i don't always know what to do with that when i have it but somehow that brings me back into a moment of of connection with creator and going okay this is i'm not free floating like my i'm not in outer space and my cord's not been cut and i'm just like bouncing around the universe now i'm still grounded and connected in a way that reminds me i'm not in this on my own but Lorraine, I do want to go back to my grocery store thing. So I am in the flower aisle thinking I need to buy the world's supply. I don't have the reasoning. How do I get grounded again in that moment? Because yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm actually, honestly, there's someone in my world who's had almost daily panic attacks that have been debilitating. And it has been so, it's disruption on top of the disruption already feeling. And so she is struggling with finding stability and i like if there's some way that i can help her or some way i can help me in my grocery store panic like what do i do when i have no access to reasoning and my body and my brain is saying there's a bear coming other than lay down on the ground and let whatever happens in the grocery store happen <laughs> you know? Such a good great question great question so if we, if we keep in mind this analogy of the bear, I think one of the, the ways we can think about this is because our body is also sending messages back to our brain, we can use our bodies to send new information to our minds, but we can't think our way out of panic, right? Because we don't have access to our Come prefrontal on. cortex, right? So you can't yeah. be like, you should just calm down. Why are you having a problem with this? This is like, not gonna work. We can beat ourselves up till, you know, for three hours, it's not going to get you out of your, <laughs> out of this, this feeling. But instead, you can use messages from your body back to your brain. And the easy rule of thumb that I talk to my clients about all the time is do things that are opposite of running from a bear. So that's where this like therapist psychobabble of like breath comes in. <laughs> it's because when we have opportunity to take a deep breath, our brain goes, well, that's kind of strange. I thought she was running from a bear. Why does she have time to take a big breath? Huh, weird. Um, if we start to do like gentle movement, right? Not frantic movement, not tense muscles, but maybe really like gentle, like just moving our arms up and down or something like that. You might look kind of funny in the grocery store, but whatever. Um, again, <laughs> your brain will go, well, that's really strange. Why is she gently moving her body I thought she was getting ready to run from a bear. And the other piece, so like anything that is opposite of running from a bear, so like gentle movement and breath, um, relaxing your muscles, just like going from the top of your body, maybe all the way down and just consciously relaxing all of these things. And the other thing that is this built in override, which is just so fantastic. And this is where, anyway, I'm not gonna get off track. <laughs> this idea of touch, 
touches a huge override to our um, fear sensors, like to our amygdala, to this like firing. I tell people, put some lotion in your purse, put some lotion in your back pocket, whatever, put some on your hands and rub your hands together take too much lotion and <laughs> rub it on your arms. And this feeling of like touch and pressure um, can be another override to this anxiety piece. Um, when you're doing this with other people, obviously you need their permission if they want touch or not, you know, but um, you just yourself, picture Nicole accosting yeah. someone with <laughs> yeah, lotion. She's, still. She's, got, yeah. she's got her lotion in ready. Six feet away. Can yeah. <laughs> But, but this is the, this idea, like, you know, when you guys have your babies, um, when you pick up your baby and you like soothe them and they're crying and you rub their back and you hug them, inevitably their internal alarm winds down, right? Over time. Kind of handling it like as, like I said, I've got a couple of kids with autism and for one in particular, like it's that sensory overload. And so when when he was experiencing that you know we would be hands on his knees just massaging his legs or putting a blanket tight around him like it's that same sort of yeah fighting your sensory overload that happens with anxiety yeah mm -hmm. and and the more messages you can send from your body back to your brain your brain will be uh in the position of having to ask itself the question did i get that message wrong I hope you are enjoying listening to this conversation as much as we enjoyed making it with Lorraine. And this episode just keeps getting better, but this is all the time that we have for today. So in the meantime, like it, share with your friends, find us on social media at We Should Record This or at our website at weshouldrecordthis.com. And there's a first time for everything. Part two will be available next week on all your usual platforms. Take care and have a great week.